0: I'm Peyton, and this is the Free Body Podcast, the podcast for everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. I keep getting messages from folks who are tuning into this podcast and I just, I'm so appreciative and I'm really hoping that it's getting out there and these amazing stories are finding more and more ears. So I just wanted to take a moment to say how grateful I am to you all for sharing this with your friends and your family and uh, let's keep going. For today's episode, I'm thrilled to introduce my cousin, Alva Gardner, who shares her body story. Alva is a public speaker and a trainer who educates people about the reality of life with a disability and specifically how person-centered thinking has impacted and enriched her life and the lives of others. Alva shares her story as a woman with cerebral palsy, also called CP, and how she, as she calls it, rolls through life. This is Alva.
1: Hi, Alva. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> I'm I'm stoked to be here.
0: I wanted to start today with uh, if you could explain CP or tell us a little bit about it and how it manifests in you. Like what um, subtype of CP do you have? And... Yeah.
1: So I was born with the full name is cerebral palsy spastic tetrapedia which is a mouthful, which is why it I is. CP. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, basically what that means is um, when I was born, I had the umbilical cord around my neck, which caused a lack of oxygen to the brain, which affected the motor cortex of my brain. Um, which is bad, so, you know, um, and, uh, basically what CP is, CP has a pretty broad range of how it could affect people. So in me, um, the spastic just means I have a lot of involuntary muscle spasms and muscle tightness. Um, and tetraplegia just means I'm affected all over, so full body, shindig, going on all the time. Across the board. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so how it affects me, um, obviously I have a speech impediment, so the muscle is a tongue, uh, the tongue is a muscle. Hello, tongue is a muscle, so it affects your muscle, so Mm -hmm. tongue, speech impediment, and then uh, I can walk using a walker or with help, but I mostly use a motorized chair to get around most of the time. Mm -hmm. A fun fact about my CP is that I type with my nose because that's easier than hand or voice decision so Mm -hmm. well fun fact and uh i know that this podcast is about uh like exercise and working out um body body stuff but my um Playing to fame with my CP has always been. No, you're gonna say. Has always been that I have a no-workout six-pack. So I have a six-pack that is enhanced by my workout, but is not from my workout.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. Amazing. Amazing. We'll definitely touch on the six pack later. Um, So cool. Um, So yeah, I usually start with your childhood, like an early, one of the earliest memories you can think of where with involving exercise or sports or just overall just physical activity, um, the earliest experience that you can think of, I guess like a meaningful experience too. It doesn't have to be super early.
1: Yeah, so... I guess I'll just kind of talk about like, my the the start of my realization or or kind of discovery of who I am as a person and how my um disability plays into that. So um obviously like I said, I've had my disability since birth so that has always been a very significant part of my identity and kind of the journey with that has been really interesting and, um, challenging and fun and kind of all the things. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I guess the, the earliest memory would Probably um, So when I was five is when I got my first walker. so I learned mm-hmm. to walk when I was five. Um, and my I don't remember this, but my mom shares this memory of um, she we just got my walker and she got me out of the car and got me all set up in the walker and turned to get her bag and turned around and I was gone and she she was like oh right she can move now by herself. (laughs) She
0: has Um, a walker.
1: (laughs) Right like so for the first five years of my life I you know, I use a scholar or something right. kid in me or whatever. And um, so, yeah, so unlike many parents who kind of get eased into that in the first two years of life, mm-hmm. my mom, it was just like, do you work for 100 at the age of five? Like, <laughs> okay, She's here gone. We go. Yeah. Um, and... I, you know, I, I bring that up because I think so much of able-bodied culture is wrapped around this idea of walking being the the norm or being yeah. the goal for people, um, and so. That's been a really interesting journey in myself to kind of grapple with that and, mm-hmm. um, you know, walk, walking and, as I say, rolling the fine line between, um, you know, these kind of dual identities. That I have, where you know I can walk. That's very much part of my identity as someone that can walk. But also, a huge part of my identity is being a woman that uses a power chair. Yeah, and that that is my normal. I hate that word, but yeah.
0: For
1: For the sake of Like, what is normal? Exactly. Normal (laughs) doesn't exist, but. It's not a thing. um, And that is my air quotes normal. Um, (laughs) But kind of just struggling with, you know, so many people, when they find out that I can walk, their first reaction is, oh, well, why don't you? Right. Like, you should, of course, you should want to rock because you can, so why wouldn't you do that all the time? And, um, -hmm. especially, so I just got married recently, um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, when we were planning our wedding, I had so many people, say, oh, so you're walking the mile, right? Um,
0: <laughs> Jesus.
1: And <laughs> and why? Just, why is that? Uh... Yeah, okay. and I, I was just like, um, n- no, like, I, <laughs> that's not how I navigate the world anymore, mm-hmm. so why would I do that. And the answer was always, well, if you can, why wouldn't you want to? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my my answer is always, well, I can walk, but one, I get really tired. I get Mm -hmm. really fucking tired. Yeah. Um, I guess I should have asked if I can say fucking this bit oh, You can
0: you know, it's... for this episode, go ahead. Cool. <laughs> go for it.
1: Um, you know, it's like just because I can doesn't mean I'm going to and Yeah. You know, I get I get really tired and I don't really wanna to get to the the altar and be like panting yeah. and sweaty and gross and like so focused on standing up that I'm mm-hmm. not present for saying bows to my future husband. Like that just doesn't sound like a good idea to me. So yeah. um yeah it's just it's a really interesting kind of mm-hmm. re- re-grappling with that like assumed normative Mm -hmm. um again you know in my 30s um right right
0: like still it's it's still something that constantly is coming up even as you're oh yeah you've grown you're a grown ass woman (laughs) and like still having to do i mean it, it sounds like a lot of um a lot of stuff you have to deal with is, like, educating people or um, explaining, having to explain to people, like, so that they understand, you know, that normal isn't a thing. And I wonder, like, how that – what that's cost um, cost you. Is that exhausting? Is it frustrating? Do you – at the same time, do you, like – I know you're such an advocate and you're, you know, you have this – had this amazing blog and you're just – you've been so generous with educating people about your, you know, what life is like for you and for others like you. And, um, I'm, I guess I'm curious about like how that has affected you yeah. in turn, having to be that person all the time.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess most of the time I don't really see it as, Having to be that person that's just who I am yeah um you know I've been a public speaker since I was eight years old so um you know it, it's funny like when it comes to things like uh reasonable accommodations like in school or at work or whatever there's this whole thing. Where it's like, well, do you do you want to disclose that you have a disability to your employer? And it's like, well, unless they're really ignorant and just like not of this planet, they're probably gonna figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah, at whether some point. I, yeah, whether I disclose or not. So, you know, for me, it's kind of been like on some level, I've never known true privacy. And Mm -hmm. so it was kind of just easier to be an open book about everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I like being the center of attention <laughs> if I'm being honest um uh yeah so like it's just been easier to, to do that right to live life that way and um you know as as I've learned through public speaking and now through my work um my bring up was so different than many kids with disabilities that, you know, it's, it's rare to find somebody with a disability who it is as open and just kind of, here it is, here it is. like, yeah. this is me. Yeah. Um, and just, really willing to answer any question, um, you know, I always joke in 22 years of public speaking, I've never not answered a question, ever.
0: It's amazing. So,
1: uh, when I say (laughs) I'm an open book, I'm an open fucking book. Like, (laughs) this, um, you know, so... I don't know. I just think it's easier. And, you know, like I said, it really depends on the day, because obviously there's days where I get that that really arrogant person that's like, what's wrong with you? Oh, um, Jesus. Oh, I get what's wrong with you all the time. Oh, my God. Um, And, you know, if they they catch me on the wrong day, my answer is nothing. What the fuck (laughs) is (laughs) wrong with you? But, you know, usually I just kind of go for the polite, but deadly answer, which is nothing. I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? Yeah. Thank you
0: so much for asking. Yeah. It's so sweet that you care. Which just
1: kind of confuses them. Mm-hmm, brilliant. Because they can't they can't comprehend like how nothing is wrong with me because I don't look like they look. Right. So, you know, that's just my sadistic <sighs> side coming out.
0: Good for you. <laughs> I like it. I like that side. <laughs> I'm here for it. Thank you. Um yeah. so you mentioned uh that you're, you know, you grew up kind of differently from other folks and I'm I'm curious like yeah. like you and you started public speaking at age 8. Can you talk about I guess how your childhood was different in that way and how you found how you came to find public speaking and
1: So yeah, so like I said um in in many ways my upbringing was not typical for somebody with my vital disability. Um, And I have to 100% uh, credit my mom for that. She's um, a badass and just is a great, great woman as you know. I do, Um, she is. (laughs) Yeah. And she, so with with CP and especially with my level of CP, um, there's kind of these quote unquote standard, um, both surgeries and um, medicines or drugs that mm-hmm. are kind of prescribed kind of right off the bat. Um, And those are um, uh, muscle relaxers, so okay. things to help with the stasis. Mm-hmm. And then um, surgeries to lengthen the tendons in your legs and mm-hmm. hips, gotcha. because that's where a lot of the stasis and the tightness usually is Mm -hmm. and a lot of times those are done pretty young so like four or five if not earlier Wow! and um so when it came time for my CP surgery uh as the doctors said um I don't know if they actually said that but um (laughs) you know my mom Kind of instead of just blindly saying okay, um, she did her research and asked, you know, both the doctors. She talked to um, adults with CP who had Mm -hmm. had that surgery as a kid, she talked to other parents with kids with CP who had had that surgery. and the, the biggest thing she asked was, you know, well, Alva can already sit up by herself, mm-hmm. she can crawl, she can walk with help, like, which are all the kind of um, function markers that they use as to whether or not you get the surgery. Gotcha. So she's like, she can. She can do all of those already. So why, why are you recommending she do the surgery? Mm-hmm. And the doctor said, "Well, you know, it'll make her legs straight." So it's
0: purely an aesthetic thing.
1: Pretty much, and like make wow. me less static. But like when they say less spastic, they're that kind of for people who. Like, they're so spastic that they dislocate their hip joint gotcha. right, kind right. of a thing, mm-hmm. um, which I don't have an issue with. Mm-hmm. And so my mom was like, so you want to put my five-year-old in a body cast for six months? Um you know, put her through the surgery, have her lose significant muscle mass yeah. by being in this body cast and basically be bedridden for six months so that her legs are straighter. up. Like, mm, let's not do that. Yeah,
0: absolutely um, not. That's crazy. So,
1: Yeah, so I definitely lost out having her as a mom and kind of setting that precedent of, like, just because this is what they say you do because you have CP doesn't mean that's what you do. Um, And so, you know, now the fact that I've never had surgery and never been on meds for, for my CP, is like a total badge of honor for yep. me now and um and has really um, lended itself to my journey for exercise and self care and body positivity and all that.
0: That's amazing. She's she's such an incredible advocate, like um yep. shout out to Lynn. Shout out to Lynn. <laughs> um so and when you were growing up, you went to like lots of camps and stuff. You were like were super active. I remember growing up. Yeah. Like, can you talk about that?
1: Yeah. So yeah, I mean, as a kid, I I was super active. Um I did you know any any and every sport. I probably tried it at least, if not played it for extended period of time. Uh, So I swam from the age of five until I was 18. I played um, power soccer, which is indoor soccer in power chairs. I rode horses for about 10 years. Mm -hmm. Um, I ski, I snowboard, um, I rock climb, I, you know, I've done water skiing, although it's not my favorite. Um, so yeah, I was, I was super. I don't think I've done water skiing. It's, it's kind of terrifying. I I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. Um, (laughs) But I, I went to this sports camp. And, you know, especially your first couple of years, they make you do everything at least once. Mm-hmm. And water skiing was one of those things. And I was just like, okay, well, here we go.
0: That sounds terrifying.
1: Yeah, well, especially because, so I, I water ski sitting down and so you're like wedged into this seat that you you're not strapped in so theoretically you can like push yourself out of it okay um but me lucky me my spasticity when i'm like nervous i spaz inward not outward okay well, in that situation, other situations, of course, I that out. But in the time that I needed it to be outward, it was, it was inward. Inward, oh. no. <laughs> yeah. So you know, when when they stop, there's someone behind you who like spins up to stab you. But it takes them like. 10 seconds to get to you and so when they stop you just kind of drop into the water and like roll to the side and you're supposed to like push out of the ski so that you just float to the top okay well i didn't do that i just kind of chilled sideways like trying to keep my head out of the water jesus to get me. so
0: yeah
1: wow Honestly.
0: harrowing a harrowing tale
1: yeah so that's those are kind of all the ones I did regularly and i'd say you know in terms of like a therapeutic component mm-hmm. um because i also did kind of standard therapy um growing up so PT, OT. Mm-hmm. Um, I also used to do Felding Price, which is a type of body work. Yes, I've never heard of it. What is that like? Basically, the, the premise is um, so, like, if you're, for example, if your on is stuck at a 90 degree angle,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, physical therapy works under the premise of like, push the arm down mm-hmm. so that it goes down. Selvin Christ kind of acknowledges where your body is and works with your body where it is and gradually gets it to where it unquote should be. And by over time, I mean like within a one hour session. Oh, amazing, so, okay. Uh, yeah, it's it and and obviously you do that you do that over time. Right. Um but it's yeah, it's it's like like you would massage things mm. at the ninety degree angle to get it down to like an eighty degree angle and then you okay. massage things and stretch and do and whatever and then you get it down to seventy and you know, it might be your left arm, but you work on your right hip bone mm-hmm. because it's all connected. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the thing. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Wow, that's awesome. In a nutshell. I cool. have to look up more about that. That's so cool. Um, it reminds yeah. me a little bit of like fascia connective tissue. How, like, it's this web Mm -hmm. of tissue all over and in our body, like, down to a cellular level. And if something, if I, like, injured my shoulder, for example, I could feel that injury there, but it's also affecting, like, my opposite hip. Yeah. Or my lower back could feel, you know, because just everything's kind of connected. It's amazing. Exactly. So... As you as you were getting older and, like, in the college life and as you turned 18, we talked about this a little bit in the pre-interview, just how there's a lot more support um, institutionally under the age of 18. Mm-hmm. And then once you turn 18, they're kind of like, well, off you go. Yeah. <laughs> so can you kind of yeah. talk, talk me through that transition and what that was like?
1: Yeah. So 90% of all the sports I just listed – as soon as I turned 18 I couldn't do okay anymore. you
0: gotta walk me through why that <laughs> is that's nuts
1: well if you figure out why you tell me because I still <laughs> don't have a fucking clue oh as God. to why that is um but yeah of of all the sports and therapies that I listed um all of them except for uh soccer um skiing and feldenkrais the day i turned 18 i aged out of them every single one
0: so when you say aged out what does that mean
1: it literally means you're 18 you're no longer eligible for this program because we're for youth with disabilities um why do you think that
0: is is it a financial thing
1: i mean probably ultimately um i mean there's kind of this this idea in disability services that like kids kids are cute so we're willing to to funnel money into kids, but as soon as you're an adult, it's like, you're not cute anymore, so we don't care about wow. you. I think that's definitely part of it. I think I think it does come down to money and funding. Um, a lot of, I say all of the sports and therapies, except for, again, skiing, mm-hmm. soccer, and horseback riding, um, all of those were funded by state services for me as a kid. Um, so yeah. Um, so and like we talked about, in the pre degree, Like that's that was kind of when I went, oh shit, what like what do I what yeah. do I do now like. Mm-hmm. And both from like an identity standpoint, but also from the physical, like keeping my body okay um, standpoint, because it being a jock and being an athlete had so much become part of my identity. Mm-hmm. And like, like I said, because I don't take the meds and I don't, I don't, had surgeries, um, my physical activity was the way that I kept my body okay. Yeah. Um, and so turning 18, going to college, and kind of figuring all of that out on top of being an adult, and living out of my own house, going to college, living in the dorms all of that fun yeah. stuff. Um, also trying to figure out like, how do I take care of my body? Um, yeah. And, you know, especially for me, to so like I use um, personal care attendants mm-hmm. to help me like get dressed, shower, kind of daily living tasks. And um, a, lot of, a lot of the time I openly need help with whatever exercise I'm doing. Um, and so that was kind of an added level of challenge was trying to figure out ways to embed that support in my life on my own, like find people to help me pay them out of my own pocket or find volunteer organization, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was and still is probably one of my biggest struggles when it comes to my body and um, figuring out the best methods of taking care of my body.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's still something clearly you're having to work through. And I know this last, um, ever since COVID hit, you've, <laughs> you've run into some interesting challenges there as well, which we can get into if you yeah. want.
1: Yeah. For sure. Um, and the other thing i will just quickly touch yeah. on that, that I really struggled with when it came to, um, but, you know, the fact that I use attendance for daily living and then trying to add on top of that support with exercise yeah. is so much of my life is scheduled. Like, yeah. my attendance come at the same time every day and must be coordinated beforehand, but... You know, ultimately, my day is pretty much scheduled from the minute I wake up until the minute I get back in bed, and I'm dependent on another person, Mm -hmm. or or it at least involves another person, and so, you know, I have enough trouble finding and keeping attendance for just the basics of life. So right. again, getting out of bed, having breakfast, taking a shower, yeah. um that trying to add on top of that, scheduling or hiring an attendant for kind of the frivolous activity of working out, um was just like so not a priority um and then yeah to your point with COVID you know when COVID hit um you know people with disabilities were affected and are affected in ways that many people don't even think about with COVID you know I literally can't to socially distance from everybody, I'm I'm in contact with at least at least two people a day. Yeah, every day. Yeah, um, and that's not including my husband, who live with. Um, so, you know, obviously, I have to I have to do that to get up, to go to bed, to shower, things like that. So the idea of like then exposing myself even more, quote unquote, just to work out seemed ill-advised and just not smart on my end. Mm -hmm. And so um, that was, That was a huge struggle, but okay, my body is like really not doing well because just like the whole world, I'm sitting at home doing nothing. And you know, people have this kind of incorrect assumption like, well, you're, you're you're in a wheelchair, you don't move around anyway, so it shouldn't be that different if you're just at home, but actually the amount that I've moved at work, you know, bending, typing, like I said, I with my nose, so mm-hmm. my body is moving quite a bit throughout the day. I work at a day program for adults with disabilities, so helping them get in and out of their walker or Mm -hmm. pushing the chair in or whatever it is. I was moving a lot and so to go from that to quarantine you know it just sent my body for like a loop. I got to a really bad place where my body just felt disgusting, it felt foreign Mm -hmm. to me, like it didn't feel like my body. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt stuck in my body in a way that I hadn't experienced before. Um, And you know, when I say that, I don't mean you know, people often ask me if I could wake up tomorrow and be able-bodied. Would I? Would I do it? And my answer is always unequivocally no. Like no. Yeah. Um, which shocks people. Um, <laughs> but you know, like I said, it's so much a part of who I am and it's shaped who I am. It's why I do the work that I do. It's yeah. why I do public speaking. It's why I've met 90% of the people there in my life. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not about that. It's not like I would choose not to have CP, but, you know, the reality is, it makes it hard sometimes yeah. and it's hard sometimes and that it can be hard without you wanting it to not be present and I think that's kind of the assumption that people just assume that I don't want CP and it's like no. Do I want things to be easier? Sure. But, you know, not having CP is not the answer to making things easier. Right. So anyway, um, yeah, so finding, you know, grapp- grappling with that during quarantine um, was really tough. And I I finally, you know, I realized I had this opportunity one day where I was like, I'm not posting on Facebook. I'm not reaching out to people. I'm not doing anything online because I know that anything I would say would be like complaining. Mm. or, you know, would be like, oh, woe is me, everything is hard, Mm. And, and then I kind of snapped myself out of it, and I was like, well, Alba, that's your lived reality right now, like, if that's what you want to post, post that on Facebook, and so I posted this, Wrong thing on Facebook um, where it was just like the things are hard and I'm not doing well, all and my body feels foreign to me, I can't exercise, etc, cetera, et cetera, and the outpouring of support that I got from people, whether that was people offering to come and help me take a shower so that i was getting more than one shower a week which i had been getting for three months or offered to like come help me get set up in my walker which i now have just for exercise um and like go for a walk with me so that they can open doors or help me with my mask or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a my, my friend of mine who ironically lived in Texas, she reached out to me and she was like, you have to try pureball. Oh. And... But I was like, what the hell would I do? <laughs> I don't like that. Okay. And the, the basic premise, at least as it was explained to me, is that it's all about micro movements. Okay. And overall, it, it takes place within a pretty small footprint. And and then she said, you know, I have fibromyalgia and it's done wonders for me. Wow. I was like, okay, oh, hey, if she can do this, then clearly I should at least try it out. And so I um I contacted her studio they, they were so, they were so wonderful. They, they offered to do a, like, consultation call with me. Because I was like, I don't know what, I was like, I don't know what Peer Bar is. What does that even mean? And and the cool thing about Peer Bar is that it's, it's designed for people of differing ability levels or different strengths or different flexibility like it's inherently designed to be modified and so i really appreciate that because then even if my modification is different than the quote unquote standard modification none of the modifications are here's what we're doing although you can just sit this part out
0: yeah hell no
1: (laughs) so really appreciate that and the last two that i'll talk about is um one i can do it a hundred percent by myself oh that's great so it's yeah. So as soon as I'm set up to do it, I take ninety percent in my walker and ten percent in my chair. Mm-hmm. So I might need help getting my walker out and positioned, but after that, for the full fifteen minute class, there's nothing that I need help doing. And the other thing I love is that, so every class is 50 minutes and I can do it before 50 minute workout, fine. And I'm tired, but I'm tired because I just did a 50 minute workout, not yeah. because I'm over exerting trying to do something that my body can't do Mm -hmm. so yeah so i'm a total pure bar convert i i'm like obsessed with it i've been doing it twice a week since july every week
0: we stand pure bar on this podcast big pure bar plug Mm -hmm. i'm i gotta look into pure bar now damn that's like so awesome yeah so awesome because it sounds yeah. like such a, such a significant change for you has happened because of that class.
1: Yeah, for sure. I've already, awesome. I, I've noticed huge differences in my body, just general, but also function, for lack of a better word, function-wise. Um, you know, like I said, I can stand, I can walk, but I can stand unsupported for a good, like, minute or two now. Whereas before, because I hadn't been moving, it was like 10 seconds and I was like on the ground. So, yeah, well, um, well. yeah shout, out, shout out to Pure Bar San Antonio Texas. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: amazing. So now we're just going to move on to the next segment uh, that I affectionately call the tea. In our pre-interview, Alva mentioned the definition of independence and what independence actually means. Do you want to break that down for us?
1: For sure. So I have I found in my life um, both in kind of able-bodied society, um, but unfortunately, that has very much spilled over into dis- disability society. That um, independence is defined as doing everything for yourself. Be- being independent means doing everything for yourself, and one, I don't think anybody in the world, disability or not, does everything for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I'm not totally sure where that definition came from. Um, but, you know, I think it's, especially for people with disabilities, it's hugely problematic and limiting in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for me, I I define independence as living your life the way you want to mm. and utilizing supports that you need in order to do that. So like I mentioned earlier I, well, when I have a full staff pre-COVID, when I had a full staff of attendants, um I have, you know, anywhere from four to eight personal care attendants that help me in a given week.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have um, assistants like, more like admin assistant type people um who help me and so you know technically I do very little of my day-to-day like daily living tasks by myself right but I 100% identify as an independent person mm-hmm. and that I live independently. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in an apartment with my husband. I've lived out of my mom's house since I was 18. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a job. I travel. Well, again, please do. <laughs>
0: I I travel could
1: yeah. Yeah, I used to travel. Um you know and I have people who help me do that. Right. And that is how I live independently. So I just think it's I think it's so unfortunate and so limiting that we've defined independence. So narrowly, yeah. Because I think it, I think it limits people more than it helps them. Right. I know a ton of people with disabilities who, you know, were not as fortunate as I was to have a mom who raised me the way I was raised. You know, they were very much taught that you have to do this by yourself right and so it might take them two hours to get dressed in the morning
0: right if i'm supposed to be independent then i have to do everything by myself even if it it costs me energy and time
1: and yeah 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 i get what you're saying and for me you know yeah i can get myself dressed from head to toe if I choose to. Fashion is hugely important to me. And the way I look is hugely important to me, not in a vain way, but in an identity way. Yeah. Um, And so for me, I would rather have someone help me get dressed in Jeans, shoes that need to be tied, a bra, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with the makeup on and the hair and a ponytail, as opposed to baggy sweatpants or pajama pants and a big oversized hoodie. Which, don't get me wrong, I can rock that look too. Yes, you can. (laughs) Um, But... To like go to work, I'm not gonna wear that because oh well at least I got dressed by myself. Right. Like that's just stupid. Yeah. For me. yeah. And again, no judgment on anybody who thinks differently on that if that's important to you then go for it. But I think the where where I have issue is kind of, again, the assumption of that being the norm, and that being the, the default. Like, I don't think that should be the default. If that's what you choose to do, then, hey, Great. go for
0: it. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, it's like it's it, it just seems to be factoring into that idea of the quote unquote normal thing, the, the idea of whatever the hell normal is, which it doesn't exist. Um, and that like no one actually is like if we were defining independence as like you do everything by yourself, then no one is independent Unless right. maybe they're living in the middle of the woods on their own farm. But at that same time, it's like, did they build their house? If they have a gun to go hunting with, did they build the gun? Did they, mm-hmm. are they growing all their own food? Uh, you know, like there's, I don't, I don't, it's it's like kind of uh, in the same vein of no man's an island.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No one actually is independent if that's how we're defining independence. And I think it's, but... it seems like a way of like i don't know i keep thinking of like um as if it's a way of controlling people like this is the way it's supposed to be so you have to fit into this box that works for these people maybe but it doesn't work for everybody but you have to fit into our little box this is how you're supposed to make things happen um but it's ignoring like a whole it's ignoring a whole experience that other people are having yeah. of like how to live day to day in the world. So yeah. I'm really glad you brought that up. That's um that's really important. Thank you for talking about that.
1: It's funny because even in disability world that sense of normalcy is there. Yeah. You know, when I when I discovered that typing with my nose was my preferred method of typing, Mm -hmm. I had so many, like, assistive technology people, uh, therapists, you know, whoever they were, say, well, why don't you use um, dictation software? Mm -hmm. Why don't you use a headband? Why don't you use an on-screen keyboard? And it was like, But why? Yeah. And similar to the surgery story when I was a kid, it was like, well, because that's what we give to people who can't use their hands to type. It's like, okay, but if I use a headband, that means I have to put a headband on every time I want to type. Yeah. That means I have to carry a headphone with me every time I go to a cafe to do homework or to do schoolwork or whatever. Why would I do that when I have my nose with me all the time? Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, (laughs) hopefully. And I can just set up my computer and go. Yeah. If that's what works for me, then why do you care?
0: Yeah. So I just wanted to touch on fashion because I know that you, God, how when when what year was it that you were you were you started your fashion line? Can we talk about that and how you feel about the fashion industry?
1: Yeah. So so when I was in college, um, I designed my own major. And as part of that, I had to write a senior thesis. And I wrote my thesis on the inaccessibility of the fashion industry to people, especially women with disabilities, mm-hmm. and how that inaccessibility affects our overall perception of our validity or place, Mm -hmm. Um, and then I also uh, designed and manufactured several of my original fashion designs that took mainstream fashion trends and modified them to be more accessible whether that was um, to make them easier to put on and take off or just more comfortable if you're in a chair and sitting all the time and I actually got asked to present my thesis at a national conference um, after I graduated for the Society of Disability Studies conference. And um, when I did that, I got so much positive feedback and questions like, well where can I buy your stuff? Mm-hmm. And I was like, buy it? What are you talking about? I just, <laughs> Money? This is just my thesis. Like what? Um and so Anyway, long story short I ended up launching a business called Designs by Elba. For example, I designed a pair of jeans that have the pockets on the knees instead of at the hip. Because obviously from sitting, you can't get anything in and out of your pocket. Mm-hmm. So, um I I did that full time for about three and a half years. Wow. Um, I I presented at Gap Headquarters in San Francisco. I raised a ton of money. I um I had really good feedback. But um because I needed help with all of the Manufacturing, even from you know the very beginning. After three and a half years, I had to hit pause on that because I needed money, and yeah. that that wasn't wasn't making money yet. So Gotta um, get on Gap. Where's yeah.
0: Gap at? Like I'm, I'm, you know, like I feel like this is a a business venture that just makes sense. I don't know why yeah maybe it's a matter of time timing yeah
1: I mean so se- since then there's been a lot of um, companies that have kind of jumped on that bandwagon, mm-hmm. so there are now a handful of adaptive clothing lines um that range in. The balance between function and fashion, but none that I've seen that do exactly like what I had planned on doing, which was really being as of the line and affordable yeah. as possible.
0: Well, fashion industry needs to catch up, and uh, it hopefully that just means it's a matter of you know of finding the right company or finding the right partner or something in that down the line, you know, if you end up going back to it, we'll see. We'll see. see. All right. Awesome. Well, that was a very tasty tea. Thank you so much for that tea. Thank you. We're on to our final segment, the cherry on top. Um, I know you have a couple cherries for us. Um, I'll just let you take it away.
1: Yeah, well, my, my, my first cherry was, was made into tea. So hopefully you like cherry tea. <laughs> um, and then I, my new cherry, just straight cherry, no tea, is, um, to, to live a life of worth cheating. And I think especially when disability is a part of that mix um, I think it's really important to think about like what it is that you want your life to look like and what's important to you and um, and then building a life around that. and. I have to admit I slightly stole that from the the concept of person-centered thinking, mm-hmm. um, which is another endeavor that I'm a part of um, which is the the very logical and yet somehow forgotten and the gogo concept of um what's important to you and how how are you best supported mm-hmm. and what do you want what do you want your support to look like um and so living a life of your teaching is borrowed from that um because that's really but that whole concept And of course, my definition of independence very much ties into how I live the life of my cheating.
0: Thank you so, so much for coming on the podcast. This was great.
1: Thank you for having me. This is fun.
0: Thank you, everyone, for listening. To learn more about Alva, please visit her website, www.the4-3perspective.com, linked in the notes of this episode, and follow her on Instagram at Alva's View from down here. And finally, if you'd like to hear more body stories, please subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends. And if you have a body story that you'd like to share, please reach out on our Instagram at FreebodyPodcast. I'll be here next week. Until then, stay well and vote. Please, God, vote.